Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. The current Indian summer we're having at the moment will allow the remaining parts of the harvest to be completed, but that's probably only just spring beans at the moment. Grower focus now turns to other crops and also field preparation for those crops. Part of that preparation comes around to tidying up field margins and hedges. I think at the moment almost every flail is going in the country. However, farmers should stop and think a little bit about the job at hand and ask is there a better way that it can be done to enhance that habitat. The harvest for birds and other wildlife which uses the hedges and margins are only beginning with blackberries and other fruits and nuts just ripening and they will provide the source of food for those species later in the season. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Catherine Keenan, a countryside management specialist who joins us today to discuss how critical these habitats are on the farm and how best to manage these resources. Catherine, you're very welcome to the podcast. Catherine, before we start talking about how to manage hedgerows, I just want to talk about how beneficial hedgerows are to birds and bees uh, and insects in general. Well, bees need flowers, so they use hedges and margins that have flowers. And the really fantastic thing about hedges is that they can have a variety of flowers all the year through, you know, from the willow way back in the beginning of spring, right through the whole year down to the ivy, the latest flowering one, you know, towards the very end of the year. And a lot of our solitary bees become active early in the year. An example of this would be there's a, 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 with the, the, the name Andrella Clarkella, and it's a solitary mining bee, and it relies on willow. Uh, which is one of the first flowering. So it's, you know, that's particularly um, if a, a relationship that if they if we don't have the willow, we won't have that particular little bee. Um, and then we're followed on the willows the air, really early one, the willow and the catkins on it. The, um, the, uh, then we go on to the black thorn in, in kind of the end of March after St. Patrick's Day, on to the white thorn in May. Um, the bramble is loved by some of, some of our common bumblebees. Um, the, the white tail and the buff tail bumblebee, you'll often see them on, on bramble. And when the bramble stem dies, uh, some of the solitary bees actually nest in the hollow cavity. And so I said bees need flowers. They also need nest sites. So they nest in the bramble stem, some of them. They, some of the solitary bees nest in south facing banks. Bumblebees nest at the base of hedges. So look, hedges are super for bees if they're managed right. So just going back to the bees, and uh, am I right in saying, obviously people kind of recognise the, the normal bee that might see out there, but there is a lot of varieties of bees out there, isn't there, Nard? Yeah, I mean, we're very conscious of the honeybee, people would think of that one, but from a biodiversity point of view, what we're really interested in is the, um, the solitary bees and the bumblebees. So we've about 80 solitary bees and about 20 bumblebees. Um, and that's, you know, they've been here for the 10,000 years and a third in danger of extinction. And primarily it's a loss of habitat, a loss of flowers. OK, and bees, obviously, we're talking a good bit about those and, and, and they're often mentioned an awful lot. Are they, if you like, a de facto indicator species or are there other equally important insects? The, the word you said there is, is so true. Uh, indicator is, is a good thing. It's a bit like birds. Birds and bees are indicators because people recognise them. They probably see, especially with bees, they're, they're known for the pollination. So because of their recognition factor, they're, they're um, you know, and maybe their pollination factor, they're recognised and they're used as an indicator. 
But from a biodiversity point of view, Michael, the, the little kind of inconspicuous millipede and centipede and every other in, invertebrate that has been here for the last 10,000 years from a biodiversity point of view is just as important if it disappears. There's a kind of a phenomenon known about, you know, the we look after the kind of the better looking species. We get worried if they go and we're not worried about the others. But from a scientific point of view, and that's what we have to, to go on, you know, we every species lost or, you know, we're as interested in all species. But we do the use of indicators such as bees is really, really handy and, and very useful. And is there a, 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 a relationship, not necessarily linear, but is there some some uh, relationship between the demise of bees? If you don't see a whole lot of bees in, in, in your farm or in your hedges, that you might not have a lot of the other. Um, Absolutely. That's well. exactly it. That's exactly it, because, you know, other things use the same type of flora, you know, um, and it's the same with the birds. So, yeah, they're key kind of species that. Yeah, if, if they're there, other things will be there. Okay, so if we move on to maybe the bigger end of the house, then back into birds, um, what are the main species that are nesting in our hedges? Wow, well, we, would you be surprised if I told you there's 55 species of birds that use oh. hedges? Now, when I say use, I mean, it's about 35 of them that actually nest in the hedge. But don't forget, there's, there's other birds then that use them for food, this shelter, song posts, perching posts. Um, corridors of movement so there's a they are just incredibly important for the birds we have in Ireland so just going back to the nesting one um, there's so many species but just a few examples of the commoner ones the dunnock or the hedge sparrow is tucked in there behind thorns the wren nests deep down in a ball in, in a hedge the robin um, again it's nests there and it's also looking out for the insects that it knows is going to be there for the chicks and it uses the berries later on the blackbirds and the thrushes nest there, and they're then also particularly fond of the, the blackbird, of the, the worms and the thrush for the snails. And of course, they are found at the, way, at, the, at the base of a hedgerow. You know, even if the ground is frozen, the base of a hedgerow, there'll always be some food there. So, so the birds, you know, that nest in them will also use them from the others. But there is, um, you know, and then there's even when we think of food, we automatically think of berries. But um, and if there is, or it's a, yeah, so it's a, where there are flowers earlier on that we talked about for the bees, there'll be food later on. You know, you'll have the haws and the slows and the rose hips. The robins love elderberries. The black caps in, in the wintertime, they rely on the ivy berries, which only come, come kind of ripe way, way late into December, January. And then again, apart from the, the berry food, the insects, because you have butterflies that lay their eggs on on the underside of leaves and then the caterpillars hatch out and they become food for the for the blue tits and all the tits, the great tits and the cold tits. So, you know, it's a whole cycle there. Then even when we're thinking of food, we have the, the sparrow hawks that feed along hedges on the small birds. It's kind of the cycle of life. Um, the, the owls go along hedges to, fight, to feed on the mice and shrews, which again will be in at the hedgerow rather than in the middle of the field kestrels hover alongside um, to, to find the mice and the buzzards they'll they'll use hedges as a vantage point to kind of nip out and find the rabbits that are come near so you know it's a whole other world then we have the trees even above the body of the hedge there are birds which nest um, they all have their own little niche you know you'll have mesel thrushes nesting in those trees above the hedge and the finches chaffinch goldfinch greenfinch they're 
again in the trees above the body of the hedge rather than the body so you know as i said there's 55 species use them but all in their own little niche so that they can all live together and all use them in different ways and and Catherine, and Catherine, coming back to the, the tillage side of it you, you often hear about the skylarks and the yellow hammer who are perhaps a bit more associated with tillage. Are, do they depend on the hedgerows around the tillage uh, field or, or are there different birds that kind of involved in that? Uh, the, the, um, the yellowhammer does, the yellowhammer does, and it's it's one of our rare species. So it's it, it nests at the base of hedges, kind of uh, sometimes the forest hedges. So it's very much in tillage and in, in the hedges. The skylark is more, is not so much a hedgerow bird. So again, you'll have different birds, um, yeah, you know, using different habitats, but... You know, I don't think it's appreciated when you look at a hedge, what the life that's going on in it. Yeah. So from the 1st of September, unfortunately, they were all sent a little note to tell them all to get out of the hedges because uh, we're coming along <laughs> with flails to um, destroy their house and their home and to, to make it neat and tidy for them for next year. Um, but I suppose given the, the Indian summer that we're having this year, is there still a potential there's active nests in there that we should be conscious of and maybe not maybe not moving into so fast i'm not an expert on that now i i would assume that it was a reasonable year and that they will have nested sometimes they nest late if they've failed earlier on so i would hope not michael you know and i don't think we can you know obviously unless you see a nest um so no in general we once the first of september comes we we accept that you know the, that we're into autumn now and that's the nesting time is over it's over okay so Tillage farmers then can 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 crack on with the job and, and, and get out and make every hedge around the countryside neat and tidy as they would see it. But supposedly I think you you're you're picking your words neat and tidy because they're I the know. ones I they're the ones I don't want to hear. So you don't like the words neat and tidy. Tell us why I you don't, don't like, like the words neat and, neat and tidy. And farmers think you think, you know, contractors think they're doing what farmers want, and farmers think they're doing what the general public want. And to be fair, I'd say up to now the general public and certainly of a certain of a certain generation would have thought that neat and tidy equal good farming. And I think it's only as we educate ourselves to um, that neat and tidy and biodiversity don't don't often don't hardly ever go together. So the, the scruffier the better. Is that kind of what you're saying? So well, uh, now uh, there is a, some some people would argue against any management, and I certainly don't agree with that. Um, we do need hedgerows are a man-made; they're not a natural habitat. Uh, the hedgerows are basically lines of white thorn or black thorn sh- sh- shrubs, which are brilliant when they're trimmed. But they were, their ultimate aim in life is to grow into a, a line of white thorn trees. So if we want them to stay as a hedge and the thorn trees are ideally suited to that, that they will, they, you know, the more, the more they're cut, the denser they'll grow. So cutting, we do need management. So I suppose that's where I'm coming back to. It's, it's the type of management then. If we don't keep, cut that apical dominance, you know, the tree, that, that shrub wants to grow into being a tree. And the disadvantage, the, the advantage of that is that it will have more flowers and, and uh, berries. But the disadvantage is it will become a single stem, gappy and thin at the base. So we want a bit of everything in the hedge. We want some of those kind of trees in every hedge, a single tree with that big, you know, canopy. Um, but for most of the hedge uh, to make it useful at the base for, for wildlife, as well as for everything else, uh, we do need to manage it. So paint me a picture then of what the ideal hedgerow looks like in terms of height and width and maybe the amount of, of, of trees, whether they're flowering or not. 
are contained within that hedge over over maybe say 100 meters yeah well i suppose to answer your first question the bigger the bulkier the better so the bigger and wider so then where do we stop the the tight will be determined by what the hedge cutter can reach up to so unless you're letting, again, I suppose I should start with the two types of hedges. There's the whole line of escaped hedges where you're not cutting the top, which, where it was never cut. That's perfectly fine, but they, they would, they're probably not the ones we have in our mind when we're thinking of hedge cutting. So the line of escaped, the escaped hedges, untopped hedges, um, line of trees, they are just left and side trimmed. So they're, they're fine. The, the top hedges, which I think is what you're talking about mainly, um, as I said, the bigger and bulkier, the better. But it is important to cut that um, the top the, it's to stop it turning into a line of trees. So whatever the hedge cutter, you know, maybe up to whatever, 15 foot, it'll depend on the reach of the hedge cutter. But at least one and a half metres above ground level or above the bank. So, you know, the bank... Um, that's because the birds won't be found in there if the fox can get at them from the ground or if the birds of prey can get at them on top. So they need a certain amount of bulk. I don't go on about width that much because in general, our hedges in Ireland are very are wide. They're not those skinny little hedges you'd see other places. In general, the width is not a problem. The height is a problem. Okay. So if you, if, if uh, on some of the hedges that maybe are, I know you talked a little bit there about um, hedges that are uh, matured, if you like, into trees, but say a farmer had a hedge that hadn't been flailed maybe over the years, uh, maybe for, for two or three years. Is it possible to bring that back or should you be bringing it back? Well, two or three years now isn't that long. I mean, that's kind of the cycle that's, that's even recommended for for. For, you know, to allow some some fruiting and flowering. So the main thing is, if you are cutting, certainly anything over three year old, it should only be cut with a circular saw. And they're not that common out there. The normal because of insurance costs and you know they're a different they're a different machine. But if you're if you're doing a serious cutting back, and that's perfectly fine if you have a if you're if you have a good you know if you know what you're doing it for. But the, the only thing then is to use a circular saw to get a clean cut rather, rather than to mangle it with a, you know, a flail. So two or three. Then I suppose the other thing is if you every year it grows maybe 18 inches, two feet high. But, you know, what where you should always be cutting is kind of an inch or two above the previous cut. So if you're bringing back the hedge, unless, as I said, you're going to do a reshaping job, which is can be done um, if necessary with the circular saw. But that's not the routine maintenance I think you're talking about. We're talking about just cutting um, every year, every two years, maybe every three years, back down to a, a little bit above last, the last, the previous cut. And in, in circumstances where farmers are, I suppose, conscious maybe of not catching uh, machinery on boughs and that, and they're only breasting the, or doing the side of flailing, if you like, the side of the hedge, yeah, is are, is a farmer kind of getting the best of all worlds there in terms of um, keeping the, the hedge under control, but um, allowing maybe the top of it to flower and maybe be a bit more beneficial to to wildlife. I think you're kind of moving into the escaped hedge there, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but it does get a bit thin at the base. Um, because it's turning into a single stem. What I would love on every farm is to have some hedges that are topped and some that are left to escape fully. Um, okay. But the topped ones, as I said, do need to keep the top cut or otherwise they will lose the base. <laughs> it's hard to get the best of both worlds. But you can, because in the topped hedges then, you mentioned it there earlier, it's really important that a, a number of thorn, 
just stems that are grow already in the hedge are let grow up and you know flower and and they're not very tall they're well they're tall enough but it's not like having a big tree there's really there should be no reason why thorns there shouldn't be a flowering thorn tree in every, the side of every hedge or one or two maybe in every hedge okay and for farmers who were maybe a little overzealous in the last number of years 10 or 12 years and and, and of a hedge that is probably on the brink of 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 that to a degree probably maybe more um grass in it than 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 maybe woody species how or what would you suggest to, to a farmer like that to try and bring that hedge back to um life well if there's if if we're really down to kind of no woody species i suppose you're talking about the value of it as a as a hedge bank unless you're planting a tree or planting a hedge on it but now i mean although i talk a lot about ideal hedges any kind of a hedge is good and the vegetation in a hedge, provided it has never been sprayed or, you know, fertilizer hasn't got on the bank, which it was unlikely. The vegetation in there, again, is very likely to be really, really ancient vegetation that has been there for, you know, carried on. It's So it's going to be very different than what's in the middle of the field again. So, you know, less it can be more for, you know, all broken down hedges, just leave them. They're, they're a reservoir for huge amounts of, of species as in as much as the good hedges if you know what i mean okay. um but yeah so just let things grow leave them give them a chance to grow up and you know i suppose before you start cutting and managing you really need to know why you're managing it what are you aiming for are you trying to keep it you know as a dense space and then um or you know or would you just leave it grow escape and tri uh, side trim it to keep them okay. from coming into the field so for a farmer then who is uh, maybe thinking about changing the type of neat and tidy, as we, we talked about earlier, to yeah. something a bit more managed, um, but the, the contract is kind of coming through the door, um, as they normally do. Any advice on how you might, uh, how the farmer might educate that contractor to basically do what he would like him to well, like? The, mo the most important thing is to talk to him because so many contractors and farmers tell us that they don't. They ring up, come and cut the hedges. You know, there's no discussion about how. So, you know, I think contractors are, are very, some contractors, a lot of contractors are conscious of, of what I'm talking about, but they're also conscious of what does the farmer want and they tend to do what they did before unless they're told otherwise. So the instant um, improvement that can be made in any hedge, as I said, is to leave a group of saplings, leave a bunch of saplings grow up. And in a few years time, even three or four years time, you'll find that there'll be flowers on those and then that will progress on into a, a tree. So that, that's very, very, and even those saplings a metre or so above the body of the hedge are valuable as sun posts. You know, anything other than the, the straight, short back and sides and the level from one end of the the hedge to a side to another so immediately let that grow up and then as i said increase the height gradually it's not a case of getting it from you know sometimes you'll have a foot or two of a fringe on top of a bank so it's not a case of letting it up straight away little enough and so up and then cut it back as i said a few inches to above the previous cut each year so you'd be gradually letting the height rise okay okay i was i was going to ask you a final question but i think you've answered it already in terms of there's one improvement that you you could, um, any tillage farmer could do to improve the habitats. And it sounds like um, 
just leaving some of the saplings grow up seems like a, a yeah and they can be thinned out at a later stage i suppose they don't have to be but you know what i mean one strong white thorn tree might may, may be better than than a group but even a group is good you know a group whichever yeah Catherine, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. It's it's great to get that uh, view and insight into how uh, farmers might manage it better because I think for sure there's farmers out there who are way more conscious of this area and hopefully we'll see lots of improvements over the next couple of years. Catherine, thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. So that's it for the Tillage Edge and my thanks to Catherine for joining me today. The second part of the Tillage Crops Forum is on next week, Thursday, September the 16th. And this webinar hones in on the carbon capture in tillage farms and also problems of nitrogen losses coming from tillage farms. You can register for this webinar on chagas.ie forward slash events. So finally, don't forget, if you like the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.